Welcome into another episode of ESPN's NBL podcast. My name's Kane Pittman, and alongside me, as he is every Tuesday in the ESPN studios in Melbourne, Olga Nulic, and uh, an interesting weekend of basketball. There was controversy. There's some teams that are uh, struggling, but before we dive into it, of course, we have to have some self-promotion. Olga, you dropped your NBA preview at ESPN.com.au. Everyone should check that out. As we're recording this, we're around 24 hours away from the NBA starting on ESPN, and a number of familiar faces from the NBL in recent seasons are going to be uh, absolutely involved. When I was uh, like going through the list of the Australians, I was... I don't know why it surprised me that it hit 10. Just because it, it seemed like, you know, Matthew Delavadova was sort of a, a a throw-in, right? And and same with Jack White. And <laughs> and then I forgot, oh, Matisse Thibel. And, like, oh, Joe Ingles is there. Just, just guys who have just, like, I don't know, who I haven't included in my lists in the past. They're just part of it now, which is very cool. Um, but, yeah, 10 Australians, one Kiwi, um, a bunch of good young players, some dudes who are going to have pretty significant roles on potential title teams too. Uh, this is a season to keep a very close eye on. We 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 went through that little phase when it was you know Patty Mills with the Spurs and and um, we had Australians in the NBA Finals all the time. We had you know Delhi winning a title. I feel like we're going to get back to that relatively soon. All right, so go check out that article as I said at ESPN.com.au. But we are through three rounds of the NBL 2023 season and every team's had a loss. Yeah. Which is, funnily enough, I saw a few people say that this was uh, surprising or this is an indication of the depth of the league, which I think is a fair comment to make. But I did go back and have a look and every team had a loss by round three last year as well. So part of me (laughs) thinks that this is just early season shenanigans that we can often see. I mean, I'm still of the mind and we said it last week that it's Sydney, Perth and then there is some sort of group below that. I think the interesting thing is the group below that is nowhere near defined right now. Uh, I still think it's Sydney, Perth, and the rest. Um, but, you know, we look at New Zealand. We look at what Cairns is doing. We look at what Tasmania's done the last few weeks. You know, it's it's not just a big market team's going to rise up. It's not just Melbourne. It's not Brisbane. Right? We're going to talk about those teams and the issues that they're going through. But it, it's, a, it's a genuine fight to say who's going to get those, you know, two to six spots, those, those playing spots. Uh, controversy this weekend, though. Maybe this is the, the place to start because I want to talk about the basketball, but I still woke up this morning thinking about this penalty <laughs> on Jesse Wagstaff from the Perth Wildcats. So uh, for those, if, if you have missed it, the uh, NBL has charged Jesse Wagstaff with unduly rough play. This was a screen set uh, in the backcourt on uh, Lockie Barker, concussed him and honestly you don't see concussions like this a lot in basketball so when you saw Lockie Barker lying on the floor it's a little bit jarring just because you don't see a lot of this but before I throw it to you I'll just read out what the official statement said so the incident was assessed uh, well it's a two game suspension reduced to a one game suspension with an early guilty plea the panel deemed the incident as careless high impact and high contact Wagstaff has until 6pm on Wednesday evening to take an early plea or appeal the decision to a single member tribunal so uh, what did you think I, I think we saw the reaction on social media the general consensus I believe I believe is that this was a surprising result that's the consensus from fans to every person in the NBL across a bunch of teams that I've spoken with 
this was a surprise, just because it seemed so incidental. It seemed like Jesse Wagstaff has been penalised for being as tall, for having his shoulders be as tall as Lockie Barker's head. That's effectively the, the, the tack that seems to be, be followed here. It's... The, the, look, the main kind of... The consensus I got from people I spoke with was that this is a slippery slope, right? We know that, you know, vision of Geordie Hunter and, and him doing a similar screen was thrown around social media. You know, there are a bunch of screens that could be, you know, considered in the same vein as this one, but they don't lead to the same outcome. So that's why this this has all the the looks of the outcome leading to the to the the penalty here, which again it's a slippery slope because, you know, at what point, at what point is a screen? So look, I can't. It's it's a weird one to talk about because people have spoken about uh, banning terror screens in the backcourt. I don't think that's reasonable <laughs> at all, right? That's that's an advantage that a, that a guard can have using that screen. Um, you know, there was the slight dip of the shoulder from Jesse Wagstaff that can easily be interpreted as him bracing for contact. So if we're at a point where we're, we're what, penalizing players, even if, if it's just to send a message about hits to the head, if we're penalizing players for having shoulders as tall as other guys' heads, then the question is, where does it end? And a two-game suspension, one, suspend, one of those games suspended if he accepts that early play, seems a bit rough considering some of the other penalties that have been thrown around over the past few years my understanding is that they definitely are going to appeal this and they've got until Wednesday evening to do so but uh, similar to you I've been at least trying to assess the opinion of people either whether it's ex-players or people that are involved with the Wildcats or as we sat there in the press conference uh, in Melbourne on Sunday Dean Vickerman who himself said that you know it, it was unfortunate and the health of Lockie Barker is obviously uh, in, important here, but he didn't think that it was necessarily something that needed to go any further. So, uh, to me, I didn't play professional basketball. I'm not sure if that's going to surprise you, uh, Olgs, but I always, in these situations, have my own thought and then like to go to the players. And we've seen particularly a lot of prominent former big men that have been uh, pretty offended by this. And Lauren Jackson. Uh, Lauren Jackson. She said that uh, she would have been in serious trouble on, on multiple <laughs> occasions. So, yeah, I I think a couple of things. Firstly, the the turning of the shoulder, but things always look different when you're watching it in extreme slow mo. To me, if you looked at this in real time, it, it looked like it was an unfortunate uh, situation for the Melbourne player. It didn't look like the communication was great. Although I will say, on the reverse angle, you can see David Aquera very clearly yelling yeah. at Lockie Buck, but it's so loud in RAC Arena. So there's a, multiple factors here that ultimately, to me, just say, well, this is an incident that doesn't happen very regularly at all, and it's just purely unfortunate. But from what I've found, the Wildcats just genuinely stunned that this has got to this point. And additionally, I don't think that they're too happy that the options here are either uh, admit some level of guilt... And still, still, still be suspended again. Because that's the problem, I think, that they're going to be working through. They don't want to... The, the the risk is there to appeal because this thing can then become a two-game suspension for a guy that they really need right now. Yep. Uh, but the only other alternative is to say, okay, well, let's take one game, but then you're admitting guilt and they don't believe that there's any guilt here. So it's an interesting situation. Yeah, look, I, again, I think the risk here falls on the rest of the league where where that slippery slope happens, where if, if a screen leads to a, a, an unfavorable outcome, 
is it therefore then an illegal act that you can then be sanctioned for? That's that's the issue that a lot of people around the league are, are, are having right now. Um, and the the penalty was a, was a big one for me because I remember what last year when Matt Hodgson kind of slapped DJ Vasilevich. <laughs> I think he got a game for that, right? Yeah. And that that was the intent. That was him striking a player. This was something that Melbourne has clearly said publicly. They didn't see the intent in it. Perth has been reaching out to, to check about the, the status of, of Lockie Barker and how he's doing. And so the fact that there's no intent, it seemed like an incidental play and he still got two games for that. Um, it just it screams of the NBL or the independent review trying to send a message to, to try to kind of like take out these shots to the potential shots to the head. But if, if a potential shot to the head comes with no intent, then again, why not just give it a game suspended with an suspended with an early play, right? So he can so he doesn't miss any games. That would have been a reasonable outcome here if you want to send that message. But they they it, it, it seems like they've gone overboard and they've done it a few times this season to start to start the season. Just to, I guess to send messages to the league to you know don't I don't know um no one in the league is happy about this. <laughs> Right and and I'm I'm confused at how the NBL or the independent review didn't read the room here. Almost everyone is sticking up for the Perth Wildcats, so go figure. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought we'd be in this position here? But uh, speaking of unfortunate events over the weekend, if you're a Melbourne United fan, you're probably wondering where this team is at moving forward. And we spoke about that game on Friday night in Perth, and Melbourne win that. It was an impressive win. We saw Isaac Humphries, I mean, quite clearly have his best game. Uh, since since moving to Melbourne this season, we know how much time he's uh, missed. And then we sat there, and before the game, I said to you, I, I literally have no idea who's going to win this game. We haven't been sure what to expect from Tasmania so far, but this was consecutive Sunday afternoons that I've sat next to you at the basketball <laughs> and watched Melbourne United really comprehensively beaten. And I know it was only 10 points at the end, and there was different factors that maybe could have changed this game. But it did feel, to me at least, like this was a game that Tasmania were completely in control for the majority of the afternoon. And let's plug your story on this. You dropped a story this morning. Please. <laughs> outlining sort of the issues that Melbourne United are going through right now and how they're trying to juggle, you know, having an import that's not producing as, as much as they thought he would and having to, you know, throw Dave Barlow out, the, out there a ton. He, he retired a month ago. So... <laughs> Your story touches on a lot of that, so go to ESPN.com.au to read that. Um, but, yeah, look, credit to Tasmania. The way they've guarded over their past, you know, three and a bit games has been really, really impressive, and it's the thing that we said they have to hold their hat on. They've admitted as much, too, and so them doing that, along with, you know, fostering that ball movement on the other end, they've, they've been really solid. But Melbourne, uh, you know, Dean Vickerman spoke about it in his press conference. They... They settle for a lot of one-on-one stuff, which you just can't do against a Tasmania team that, that can guard like that. Um, and Vickerman also mentioned that they weren't throwing it into Isaac Humphreys, which they did a lot of against Perth, and Tasmania threw out similar coverages to what Perth did, and they just Melbourne just didn't play the same way. Um, you know, Chris Golding was, was you know ill going into this game, and so he, he wasn't at his best, but, you know, there are... It seems like like there are a ton of issues with this United team, whether it's the depth or whether it's, you know, Vickerman's trust in his imports. And, you know, we were sitting together and we were watching the rotation sort of come out. We, uh, All right, like, who's the first guy coming in for Melbourne? Okay, it looks like it's, you know, David Aquera. And then, oh, like, okay, you know, Brad Newley's coming in. Oh, Zach Triplett's coming in. 
And then, oh, Rajon Tucker's coming back in before Jordan Caroline touched the floor. Um, Vickerman clearly doesn't have the trust in Caroline, and he again, he admitted as much in his press conference too. So there, again, not that a change has to be made, but it just, it doesn't seem like there's a, there's a favorable outcome here for Melbourne that includes keeping those guys, or at the very least, Vickerman playing those guys. Oh, I love the press conference because he was really honest. Yeah. And you walked away from that thinking that, yeah, Melbourne doesn't really have the answers right now. They're, they're unsure of, of what the solution is. And it's easy to sit back and say, well, Shea Ely's going to come back in. And I do think that that will help alleviate some of the problems, particularly offensively, because they just don't really have a true point guard right now. But I, I'm personally not sure that just the inclusion of Shea Ely all of a sudden is going to have this team back where they want to be. I think that they're, it seems like they're heading towards some sort of roster move. And we understand that, unfortunately, because of the injury to Hook Porty, who was the next start, it just limits your options in terms of making a major addition. And the most likely way to do that is through an import change. But even if you look at the minutes, this is not what Melbourne have done in, in previous years. 34 minutes for Rattan Mays. No one played 34 minutes for Melbourne, I don't think, in the last two regular seasons. Maybe an overtime game, but very unlikely. Chris Goulding, who we did see after the game, and, and Vickerman said he was sick, and he looked pretty drained when he walked past us uh, after the game, but he still played 32 minutes, and then you had Rajon Tucker playing 30 as well. And it's either the the older guys, with Newley and obviously Dave Barlow that we spoke about, or it's just super, super young players that are playing maybe in isolation are performing okay and and they're getting exposure and that's great but when you have to have three of those guys on the floor at the same time it's problematic so they just don't have the depth right now and i'm not sure as i said that just the inclusion of shay Ely is going to change this again we look at melbourne differently because they expect to contend i think they'll still be they'll still be fine they'll be a competitive they're, like team they're, they're talented yeah right but yeah when, when we talk about Ely, we, we are putting a ton of responsibility on him just to what, he's the guy that's going to foster all the ball movement on yeah. the other on, on the offensive end, and that's going to fix everything. Um, defensively, I didn't think they were bad against Tasmania. Granted, Tasmania isn't the, the most you know talented offensive team, um, but it, it just it seems like a, it's a personnel issue right now, where you know Vickerman had issues with Xavier Retamay's sort of crawling the ball up the floor. They're getting into their sets with yeah. what, twelve seconds left on the shot clock. You can't do that when you're clearly not clicking as an offensive team right now. Like, they're, they're nowhere near where they need to be. And the, the question is whether they can even get there, considering the personnel they have. And I don't think the you know, the way we've seen Rajon Tucker play and the way Xavier Retamez plays and Jordan Caroline plays, I don't think that they're suited to the sort of ball movement that Vickerman wants for this team. Um, so whether they can even get there, considering those guys and the, I think the lack of depth that they have, I don't think their offensive depth is, is, is good at all. Um, you know, whether they can get there is, is a question. Yeah, I asked Vickerman whether he needs to reassure a player like Jordan Caroline. And we understand it's very, very early in the season. Imports sometimes take some time to get going. And he just said, well, while, he's, while you've got a guy on your roster, you want to get the best out of him. So I don't know whether that means he's going to be there for a long time or a short time, but he was pretty open about the fact that he understands the situation and potentially uh, he's feeling some pressure as well. But Melbourne, they're two and two, so... Yeah, all things considered, a really good win against Perth. And maybe if they didn't play the game on Sunday, we wouldn't be having this type of in-depth conversation. But just to do that two Sundays in a row at home, and the tough news is they get Cairns at home this week. We'll see. Cairns is playing pretty well. Yep. Uh, 
but then they get Sydney again at home and that'll be two weeks after they were embarrassed on their home floor so I'm interested to see whether they could respond but the Cairns game might be interesting I mean Cairns has looked pretty solid so far do you think um, they looked different last week though I think so I think they, they slowed it down they weren't playing that at times out of control basketball that we discussed last week yeah I think so this was it was one of the questions that I had going into the season was you know you have Tajir McCall on your team as, as, a, as your ball carrier and, and the guy who's going to create for himself and for others and then you also have someone like Shannon Scott who can do a similar thing um, and, and it seemed like they were following attack of bringing Shannon Scott off the bench and him running a second unit um, or at the very least with their short rotation you know with the guys he's got on the floor but him coming off those those wing on balls and, and creating for others and the spacing that that Cairns team can have with Sam Wardenberg out there and Keanu Pinder and you know like they, they run some really cool sets you know coming off like staggered screens and some horn sets they they move the ball quite well with Shannon Scott you know running running that uh, running that team so I'm I'm intrigued as to what ha- I, I think Tajima McCall might be a better option off the bench as a as an energy dude to come in right I think Shannon Scott sort of settles this team a lot better especially because it is a relatively young team um but and and against Melbourne you know I I don't think it's a, it's a clear Melbourne win even though it's at home for United you know Kansas has been playing really well they've been shooting it decently and and yeah I I, I think Adam Ford has them you know doing a really solid job so far they're three and one 13 for 40 from three so they were absolutely firing them up again which is what they're going to do that's more than 50 percent of their shot attempts it's by design it's by design and shannon scott as you mentioned so 35 minutes and just the one assist and it was interesting last week when adam ford spoke about it and he said that there is a, a calming presence when shannon scott's on the floor so everyone to me wants to quickly jump in and say well this means that cans are better without Tajima call i mean i I just think that's ridiculous (laughs) they won this game but i just think Tajima calls not through anyone's fault just by pure availability i think he's been sort of thrust into kind of a miscast role as doing everything on offense and bringing the ball up the floor and running the offense and um he has been really turnover prone i think he's really good but i just think that he could benefit from playing in uh, in a little more control and perhaps playing next to Shannon Scott, or as you pointed to, maybe it is a role as a, as a sixth man for him, but I'm not buying into the idea that this proves anything, that the Cairns Taipans are better without Tashia McCall. I think it's ridiculous. No, and if, if anything, I think this was an opportunity for the Taipans just to get a different look out there. Have Shannon Scott run the point with, with those starters out there? And you say he only finishes with one assist, but, you know, like, hockey assists are a thing. One turnover. One turnover, my bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, but look, he, he comes off those those wing on balls and he has a really calming presence out there um and with the skill that that they have you know up until you know that's the seventh and eighth spot on their roster you know you know everyone can shoot they have good athletes they run and so it, it would make a ton of sense if they leaned into shannon scott being this calming presence as a floor general out there and maybe have Tajim mccall come off the bench and, and bring a ton of energy when maybe the offense gets a bit stagnant maybe maybe shots aren't falling um, you know, why not have him come in and, and put a ton of pressure on the rim and see if they can execute that way? It's just good to see some positivity from you when it comes to the Cairns Taipans, Alex. <laughs> um, <laughs> roster moves. The Illawarra Hawks, uh, you broke this one. So it was interesting. Uh, yesterday, I think Peyton Siva 
uh, tweeted something out about lacing up the sneakers again and then i think this thing started to buzz a little bit through the day last night so monday night uh, you dropped the tweet and then the story that peyton siever making a return to the nbl yeah they the hawks were gauging the the nba market as far as guys were getting cut from rosters um that process takes a bit of time because a lot of those guys are potentially having signed Exhibit 10, so they might go play for the G League teams. They, they're figuring out their future. And so with the Hawks falling to, what, 1-3, and 1-4 and four right now, that they're in a hole. And so they were sort of desperate to bring someone in. And Seaver wasn't bad with the New Zealand Breakers. Mm. I thought he was relatively effective. Um, you know you know that he can do the job in the NBL. And so to bring him in as a, as a settling presence, especially next to Tyler Harvey and, and for a team that just doesn't have any... Uh, quality ball carriers right now they just needed someone to come in and and you know settle everything on both ends and i guess siva does that for them you know he'll come in in the next week or two and and hopefully at the very least have them playing some sort of structure on the on the offensive end because again tyler harvey with a point guard can be effective i think george king is someone who is really underrated in this league and if you give him a point guard someone who can actually create and and get him good looks I think he can be really solid too. And so this Hawks team, I don't think is as bad as their record indicates. They just don't have the most important position that they need. What else caught your eye? The Breakers obviously were the team that beat the Hawks last night as we are recording this. They're 3-1. and one. They've been pretty impressive considering the schedule they've had to deal with. Uh, I brought this up. I don't, know. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if there's arena availability or what happened here. But after all the talk of the Breakers going home, being away for two years, why are they playing one of their first four or five games at home? They've been to Melbourne twice already, and we understand that every road game is a significant travel uh, journey for them. But two games in Melbourne, then they're back two days later and they're playing in New Zealand. Then they have to fly to Cairns a couple of days <laughs> after that. I don't know what's going on. Look, nor do I, but they seem to be clicking. Yeah, it's They're, they're a weird one. When... When I when I look at their roster, they have fun too. They look like they're having fun. Yeah, and they look like they get along. Looks like they go along with with Modi as well. When when I look at their roster, it, I see like a lot of sixth or seventh men, hmm. or maybe a lot of fifth guys on on a starting on a starting five. But everyone is like a is a demonstrable, proven player in the NBL, and so the expectation that they were maybe going to fizzle out because their top tier talent wasn't as ma- as good as maybe other teams. It has so far, at the very least, been proven wrong. Um, if Will McDowell-White can keep performing the way he is and put pressure on the rim the way he is and kind of step up and be that guy, then I don't see why this team can't compete for one of those playing spots. Because when you look you know, deep down their roster and you look at Isaiah Liafa, you look at Cam Glidden, Tom Vodanovich, Rob Lowe, these are all guys who have, have produced in the NBL in some sort of role. These aren't, you know, like 10th or 11th guys. These are you know, five, six, seven, eight guys. And so everyone can produce. They've demonstrated that before and they're just doing it over in New Zealand now and they're moving the, the ball pretty well. And if they can guard, which they've had some blips, but lately they've been quite good. If they can guard, then they're in, they're in the talk for that top six. What else have you got? What else have I got? Look, Sydney is Sydney. I don't think they, they had a blip against Cairns. I thought Cairns did a good job you know, standing up and guarding against them, um, especially in the half court. But then Sydney went on, and I think I think Derek Rucker said in the broadcast that the worst thing that could have happened to Brisbane <laughs> was for Sydney to lose against Cairns because they knew that because Sydney wasn't going to lose two games in a row. Um, 
And then Brisbane is one that we need to talk about. It's sort of like the elephant in the room where, firstly, we have to talk about the fact that the the penalty against Jesse Wagstaff comes at a weird time when Aaron Baines joins the league. And so if we're going to penalize guys for, for screening, um, you know, maybe not a good time to, to introduce such a significant penalty for a screen that I thought had no intent. Um, but Brisbane is in a hole right now. They're 0-4. They've had a very tough schedule, so that has to be noted. Um, they go up against Southeast Melbourne in Southeast Melbourne, um, or in Melbourne, and Southeast Melbourne is probably going to be healthy, right? And so they have a real chance of going 0 5. There's a lot of pressure on James Duncan right now. Um, I have, a, I, I think the 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 impact that Baines was going to bring has been overstated. Um, you know, he wasn't going to be some you know offensive dynamo, right? That, that's never going to be his thing. I'm surprised at how uh, ineffective they've been defensively, especially uh, guarding on balls and things like that with Aaron Baines out there. Um, but there are issues there. They're perhaps not as deep as we thought they'd be as well. And so that they might have been a team that we we may have overstated just because of the, the, the cachet that Baines brings to the table. Yeah, I think there's some schedule stuff there as well. Mm. Uh, they were pretty clearly, to me, going to be a team that started slow. So like in Sydney, in Perth, in Tasmania... And then against Sydney, just it's tough. Yeah, really, really tough. And again, I would just mention New Zealand's schedule, but Brisbane has to be right up there for the most difficult in the league. Uh, when you combine the fact that, and I know I've said it before, but when you combine the fact that Tyler Johnson, Aaron Baines, Nathan Sobey just haven't played basketball in the last 12 months plus. They just haven't played at all. It's not like they've played limited games. They just haven't been out on the floor. And I think it was interesting. Uh, Ryan Brokoff was on the broadcast a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about Brisbane and the challenge of coming back after missing a lengthy period of time we saw that with Brockoff and and mm. I think he's got to the point now we saw him on the weekend I thought he played really well uh, in his role and it's really important for the Phoenix but it took him a long time to get into rhythm and to to get to the pace of the NBL different league as well so I, I just think that yeah, it, it was probably predictable that Brisbane were going to start really slow. I definitely still had them in my top six. I don't think that it's out of the question that they can get there. Um, but again, some of the defensive stuff is concerning. I mean, they, they had a double-digit lead earlier in this game, and then they just couldn't stop Sydney from scoring at all, whether it was in the paint, whether it was open looks from three. And some of the numbers are pretty ugly. So... Yeah, we see a little bit on social media about coaches under pressure, but yeah, I would say James Duncan's under pressure. We also see a fair bit about Simon Mitchell. Do you read anything into that with the Phoenix? I mean, if the Phoenix's situation is so unique with with the players that they've been missing, <laughs> that's like an obvious personnel thing. Yeah. Um, if Simon Mitchell was going to not be the head coach of the Phoenix, it would have happened last season. Yes. Right? And it, and it quite frankly, would have been warranted based on the facts but the everything out of that team is that the players like him Tommy Greer likes him they and they re-upped him and so I don't think you can put any of the the Phoenix's issues on Simon Mitchell at this point because they just haven't had bodies and even their last game you know that was a winnable game for them and it was it was Trey, Trey Kill sort of still getting into the, the feel of the NBL um, it was still Kyle Adnam trying to do what he does out there and Mitch Creek trying to do what he does, but they just don't have the bodies to, to be effective out there. They, these guys haven't played together, and so you have to, at the very least, give them time. I think Simon Mitchell deserves that. Um, with Brisbane, it's 
it's not just their schedule, which has which is unfavorable at this point. Um, but it's it's the indicators that we're seeing. It's defensively what they're doing. It's the sort of shots that Aaron Baines is getting. Um, you know, we still have to wait for Sobey to get back to where he needs to be. You know, Tyler Johnson hasn't completely settled into the NBL, but they do not look like a a, a team that is going to compete for any sort of. Um, you know, if they made a playing game, I would not pick them to to win anything there. I, I couldn't see them competing in a playoff series. Um, the indicators just are not great, and I don't think that the depth is is good enough to to help them overcome some of the issues of their top tier guys. They were bottom three in off uh, in defense. Sorry, last season in the preseason, I still thought that maybe they could get to top three in defense, and that's looking like a bad take. I thought I thought Baines would would. Yeah, it's it's a weird one. I I thought Baines would fix everything. But then when I look at, for example, Adelaide, um, you know, I thought Antonius Cleveland would fix everything, but it just goes to show that one guy cannot, uh, you know, take the reins of an entire defense, right? Even if you have Antonius Cleveland on your team, that doesn't mean that Daniel Johnson's not on your team and he's a guy that's going to give up a thousand points at the rim, right? Same with Aaron Baines. Just because you have Aaron Baines as your, you know, rim deterrent, it doesn't mean that, you know, your guards all of a sudden going to be up and in and, and deter points from opposing guards, Right. That's why when I look at Tasmania, that's why they their attack is one to follow. They defend as a team. Everyone rotates on time. The reason why Jared Bairstow is probably like a plus a million on this season because every time he comes in, he rotates well. He knows where he, he has to be. Um, he gets in front of guys. He stands up. And, and that's how you defend in the NBA. I think Sydney does that well too. Yeah, Scott Roth, as we jump back to Tassie, spoke about the Jack Jumpers, the win on Sunday being a real... Jack Jumper's performance and it, and it felt that way dominated the offensive glass defensively they were tenacious which is why I thought when I first looked at the schedule that that first game for the 36ers was a very problematic one for the 36ers and they didn't just lose they lost by 25 points is this in any way and it's only one game and Adelaide were able to bounce back they were probably fortunate that they played Illawarra and it was kind of an easy get for them um, back at home does this do anything for the NBA, NBL preseason stuff? Because I, I, I'll admit, once Adelaide beat Phoenix, I softened on my stance that teams just aren't going to want to do this anymore because uh, we got caught up in it and I was like, well, they beat an NBA team. Look at all the exposure for the league. But it clearly set them up. And, and you don't want to just straight up make excuses for them. Tasmania were fantastic. They couldn't miss from three in the first quarter and the game was virtually over. But coming in to game five for Tasmania, game one for Adelaide, huge target on their back. I don't think it was an unpredictable result. Yeah. It, it's 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 the balance, right? And Adelaide has a bunch of Americans who, it's cool to get them on that stage. It is uh, really nice to have Kai Soto out there playing in that game because of the exposure that he'll get. You get a ton of eyes on him. There's already a ton of eyes on him anyway. Um, so I get the value there. And when you win the game, awesome. You win a game, everyone gets around you, lovely. Um, but we have seen the value of um, being a few games into a season yes. and what that does for your team. Um, you look at Tasmania. It took them four, you know, three or four games to to get their stuff together. Um, and they and it seems like they've gone that way. You know, Melbourne has had their ups and downs, but, you know, they had two iffy games to start the season and then they figured some stuff out against Perth struggled against Tasmania and, and you know let's see if they can use all those games use that experience to get better from it it is tough when you're not consistently playing games because you can't you can't amend your issues um, and that's what 
Adelaide didn't really get a chance to do. Granted, they're still going to play all their games. They're just slightly behind every other team. Um, the issue is, are they going to play all these other teams when they figured their stuff out? And Adelaide is still figuring out the best thing that works for them. And for that Adelaide team, I think it's they are an, an erratic team. They have a ton of talent, and that may be enough to get them over the line, but they are a very high-risk team when it comes to the guys that they put out there. You know, I, I don't know how much I... I don't, I don't think what they do is sustainable. We talk about what's sustainable in, in Tasmania and the way they play, and you can sort of, you can predict what you're going to get from them. You can never predict what you're going to get from Adelaide um, just because of the nature of the personnel there. Uh, individual talent-wise, they've got so many guys that they'll, yeah, on any given night, they'll hope that they get the two contributors that you probably need uh, to win the game. But I think we've already seen the erratic nature of Craig Randall, for instance, where he can either be making those shots and you're like, wow, this is an unbelievable display. Or you can be watching him and thinking, geez, that shot selection is is wild. But that's the nature of a, of a scorer like that. So we'll see uh, how that plays out over the next few weeks. And they got the Sydney Kings on Friday night. So in Sydney. So that's, that's a real test. I'm looking forward to that one, particularly on the defensive end for Adelaide. Can they stop uh, Sydney from scoring? Uh, time will tell. But they're uh, going in, I would say underdogs in that one the Kings look superb so far uh, there's a couple of interesting games this round though it starts Thursday night New Zealand back home hosting hey. Southeast Melbourne and they played each other obviously on the weekend so they'll get another look at each other there I, I agree with you I'm not too panicked about the Phoenix so far I just think it's been uh, just an awful run health-wise for them and they're still going to be working guys in so they're going to have to at some point start to get it together I don't know whether it starts this Thursday night, but that game will be on ESPN 5:30 PM. It's a double header. Then Melbourne uh, will host Cairns. So that's what we love about the NBL. Only two days off between games. We're happy about that. Yeah, and you also you can't you can't pick winners of a lot of these games. I know, right? Like <laughs> Sydney Cairns in Sydney seems so obvious, but you know all it takes is for one team to stand up defensively and stop you in the half court and then hit shots on the other end. And, and they can pick up a win, and all of a sudden, they look like a really quality team this year. It It's it's tough to do. And, and then, you know, New Zealand has, I thought, like, against the Hawks at least, which I think everyone is going to play relatively well against the Hawks. But New Zealand has, has looked really solid. They have they can go, you know, 8, 9, 10 deep um, against Southeast Melbourne, who is still integrating guys. Again, in if this was round 10, you'd probably pick Southeast Melbourne to win that one, assuming everyone is, is healthy. But... You know, in New Zealand, New Zealand is kind of up and they're feeling themselves right now. Who knows? Any parting thoughts? Any parting uh, news to break live on the podcast, Olgs? Oh, not yet. Okay. <laughs> I've got some stuff in, in my pocket, but okay. maybe, for, maybe for another day. All right. That sounds good. <laughs> well, like I said, round four starts Thursday night uh, on ESPN, 5.30 p.m. New Zealand and Southeast Melbourne. Make sure you go to ESPN.com.au for all... The latest news, stories, podcasts, everything you can find uh, will be there in the basketball world. And as we said, the NBA starting on Wednesday as well. And uh, I did see there's even more games on ESPN. So it's uh, it's good stuff. It's good also, stuff. real quick, check out the uh, the box scores on ESPN too. NBL, NBL, yeah. NBL box scores on ESPN. You know that's that's how I consume my my NBA you know stats. The fact that I can do that with the NBA NBL now. Again, this isn't a plug I was told to do. I genuinely enjoy consuming stats that way. So go go to ESPN's platform for NBA stats. You came stats. on the podcast last week and you potted Disney, and now you've you've you're trying to 
the suck up, which I understand. I love Disney, uh, Ratatouille, etc. Um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, NBL stats on ESPN. Go check them out. All right, we'll be back next Tuesday uh, to record another podcast after round four of the NBL. Uh, let us know what you think and fire any questions our way on Twitter or on the social media channels. I'm sure you'll be able to find us there, and uh, we'll hit them next week on the ESPN NBL podcast. Bye, everybody. <laughs>